Hey guys, welcome to the Dog Pod, your source for canine curated content. My name's Rebecca. Today we are talking about one of the most infamous, floofiest, sought after mixed breeds that are on the market. I can't go a day without seeing at least one, probably because I own one, but also because they're everywhere. We're talking about doodles today. So one of the major issues with a doodle is that uh, they are just a mixed breed. So it's a dog that comes from a poodle mixed with another breed, and that is essentially two recognized breeds that are being mixed together, That uh, one of them being poodle. Golden doodles and labradoodles are the most well-known, but there are many other mixes that are popping up all over the place every single day, it seems. We'll get to that list shortly. So the varying degree of poodle is part of the description of these dogs. In other words, some of them have 75% poodle in them, and that would be like a poodle mixed with a doodle in order to get that. And we'll get into some of the details around the differences between those. But this all is to say doodles are not technically a breed. They're not recognized by the American Kennel Club, but most breeds start as mixes. So essentially when breeds were first established, it was the mixing of two known and established breeds. And over time, they were eventually able to breed true, which means that they could establish a set of characteristics physically and uh, personality-wise that they could then breed continuously um, into the replication of this uh, type of dog. So from a breeder's perspective, a breed is a group of dogs from known lineage of similar dogs with an agreed set of physical and behavioral attributes, which preferably breed true, i.e., reliably replicate these characteristics in their progeny. From a geneticist's perspective, a breed is a group of dogs with defined characteristics which exist in a closed gene pool. The founders may have been the same land race breed or a mix of different breeds giving rise to the dog bred today. So those are kind of minute differences, but the reality is a breeder is definitely trying to sell a look and temperament to people, where from a geneticist perspective, they are just saying they can trace the lineage of the DNA back to the same roots. So according to the Institute of Canine Biology, they actually quoted a description that they found on the UK Kennel Club, and I thought that this story was an interesting kind of breakdown as to how breeds even came to exist. So in 1859, the first formal dog show was held at Newcastle upon Tyne in Great Britain, sponsored by two shotgun makers and featuring only pointers and setters. John Henry Walsh, the editor of the Field magazine, was one of the judges. He later went on to found the Kennel Club. With the start of dog shows, the creation of dog breeds exploded. In 1800, there were only 15 designated breeds of dogs, but by 1865, that number had grown to more than 50, and it exploded to the triple digits soon after the Kennel Club was founded in 1873. In the Kennel Club, broad types of dogs were no longer allowed. Setters, pointers, hounds, terriers, and collies 
had to be sorted, segmented, cataloged, and segregated. Dog shows became a social scene, with the middle-class climbers purchasing purebred puppies to insinuate themselves up the social register. As one Victorian periodical noted, nobody now who is anybody can afford to be followed about by a mongrel dog. The rapid differentiation between show dogs and working dogs became more pronounced as time went on. Increasing numbers of people bought dogs, bred dogs, wrote standards, or changed them. Points were given for the set of a dog's tail, the colorful markings on their coat, the color of the eye, and even the dog's expression. By the turn of the 20th century, kennel club terriers were no longer expected to go around or even chase a rat. Most kennel club retrievers fetched nothing bigger than a ball, while owning a kennel club pointer or setter was more likely a fashion statement than the mark of a sportsman. So you can see that the breeding process and the creation of breeds was really just about establishing yourself in the social hierarchy and that that's where this all comes from. And we still experience that on some level uh, to this day when you look at purebred dogs there are a lot of people who are still getting them for the prestige, the look, the style, the connotation that that dog has, as opposed to purchasing it for its uh, temperament, demeanor, and the way that it in, you know, incorporates into their lives. Breeds still stand for a lot within our society today and still seem to hold a lot of the prestige that they did originally when they were created in the late 1800s. The first poodle mixes were likely cockapoos, as cocker spaniels and poodles were highly popular during the 1940s. The first record of cockapoos dates back to the uh, 1950s, followed by Yorkie-poos, which is a Yorkshire Terrier and a poodle, and then Peekapoos, which is Pekingese and poodles. So Wally Conroy was the puppy breeding manager at the Royal Guide Dog Association of Australia in the 1980s. He crossed a poodle with a Labrador retriever in the hopes that he would create a dog with the positive traits of both that was also non-shedding as he was creating guide dogs, uh, this time specifically for a woman who was blind and her husband was allergic to dogs. So knowing that poodles had this non-shedding characteristic to their fur, he thought, can I get a dog that has the qualities of a Labrador retriever plus the non-shedding attributes of a poodle. Conron faced resistance from prospective owners at this time for these new breed dogs since it wasn't a purebred dog. So he told the PR team at the Royal Guide Dog Association of Australia that they should announce that they had created a new breed called a Labradoodle. So this gimmick worked and the Royal Guide Dog Association of Australia became inundated with people interested in fostering and adopting these new wonder dogs that don't shed. So this is Wally Conron. He has been somewhat infamous in this uh, story in that he seems to now regret is this moment where he made the choice here. Um, so Conron was definitely in the business of breeding uh, Labrador retrievers originally, and he was breeding them for their temperament and their ability to be trained to be guide dogs for blind people. So he was definitely invested in this idea of a breed producing a standard 
temperament and traits that he could then work with. And he found that the results were fairly varied for labradoodles. So, and I, I do think this is true for genetics in general, that they're not entirely predictable. There's always like, you're always going to find a lazy version in the working dogs. Uh, even for Conron, he found some doodles were great as guide dogs, but others lacked like the attentiveness or were not personable enough for all situations. And he's quoted as saying, um, for every perfect one, you're going to find a lot of crazy ones. And if you know doodles today, I would definitely say that. <laughs> I, I think there are a lot of crazy ones out there. So there's there's a lot of variability um, in this designer breed. Also in an article from treehugger.com, uh, they did an article on doodles in May this year, and they say he, he discovered their personalities and working ability varied from dog to dog. Even their coats were different, ranging from curly to wavy to straight, with some shedding more than others. And myself owning a doodle I know this just because a lot of people will ask me this. My dog has really long fur. They ask how much he sheds and he very lightly sheds. Like it's almost the same way we would lose hair essentially. So he doesn't go through the process of like per season losing a whole undercoat of fur. He's just constantly losing a little bit of fur and that is not consistent across all doodles. So it just depends on where the DNA lands. I don't think you can guarantee that a doodle is going to be non-shedding. There's quite a few that do shed. There's quite a few that do have, like they say, the varied coat. The coat on my doodle, for instance, is straight slash wavy in a lot of areas. And most or many doodles have a very, very curly coat and very tight curls that are often prone to matting. So in this same article from treehugger.com, Conron said that creating Labradoodles was his life's regret. Quote, I opened a Pandora box and released a Frankenstein monster, he said, on Australia's Broadcasting Corporation's podcast, Some of All Parts. Why people are breeding them today, I haven't got a clue. So why are people breeding doodles? Well, the touted benefits of a doodle and the benefits that you will often read on the many, many websites for many different variations of poodle mixes are they are sweet and good-natured and intelligent and playful. They're great family pets. They will say that they're hypoallergenic or there's little to no shedding with them. Um, and often the benefits that are pushed for these dogs that are a mixed breed or a mix between two known breeds is that you are able to avoid a lot of the pitfalls physically that might come out of some of these breeds. Knowing that there's physical issues that are built into some of these breeds because they have been bred so long, they can often avoid those issues by breeding with another breed and thus creating a stronger DNA strain. That's the idea. So the hope is by mixing the breeds that you're actually strengthening the DNA and filling in the gaps of the potential pitfalls of a breed with another breed. So the one of the other reasons why I think doodles are doing so well and are so sought after is because there's a lot of variety in them, in their look, 
in their size. They, you know, as much as we are coming from a history of trying to breed a very specific look and temperament into a dog, I think there is part of doodles that is the kind of uniqueness of them, even though they are all fairly similar. So essentially, like, you can't always know what the mix is with the poodle, but they all kind of look very similar and yet look fairly different and unique in their own right. So the kind of the variability, though is also a con, obviously. Um, There are unpredictable results. And with the variability in the fur and in their personalities, it kind of makes it tough to always rely on this breed being the perfect fit for your family. And when I say breed, I mean designer breed. It is often said that these dogs are hypoallergenic. However, there is no science to back that, that suggestion. Essentially, what most people are allergic to with dogs is the dander and the dander is going to come with the dog no matter what. The shedding can exacerbate that as in when the dogs are shedding their fur and leaving it in places all over your house that dander is being transferred in that in that process. So a doodle that is little to no shedding then they definitely would um, not have that spread all over the house but the dog itself is still carrying dander and thus that those allergens are still being carried by the dog, essentially. One of the big pitfalls of owning a doodle that potentially a lot of people don't necessarily take into account is that they need a lot of grooming. So having that, you know, the the fur with the really tight curls and a lot of fur often, uh, they do need to be groomed quite rigorously and quite often. So keeping up with that can be a lot of money and or time. So as mentioned, doodles are a designer dog. So designer breeds or designer dogs are the offspring of two purebred dogs. And this titling I wasn't familiar with, so I'm just going to briefly go through the F process, which is um, the description of how deep their uh, generations have gone in the mixing of those purebreds. So an F1, for instance, is a 50-50 split between the two different purebred breeds and that is a first generation of that mix so essentially that dog is a product of a purebred on one side and a purebred on another side and that produced a mixed breed in the first generation an f2 is the mix of two f1 so an f2 is a second generation mixed breed as in they are still 50-50, but that's just because both of their parents were also 50-50. So when we're talking golden doodles, for instance, an F1 would be a mix between a golden retriever and a poodle to create a golden doodle. The next level after that is an F2, and they are a mix between a golden doodle and a golden doodle that creates another golden doodle. Again, 50-50 split, but they are second generation. And an F3 is again an F2 plus an F2 in the third generation. So that is again a 50-50 split. Now we have even different splits within that. So for instance, an F1B is a back cross puppy. So they have a 25-75 split. That means that often it is a, in the case of doodles, they will take a golden doodle and mix it with a poodle. And that's an F1B. So it's a first generation of a back 
cross, a, a mixing back to a poodle again. So the offspring have 75% of one of the breeds. And there is even an F2B, which is an F1 plus an F1B. So that means you've taken a first generation, we're going to say just golden doodle in this case, a first generation golden doodle plus an F1B, which is the F1, uh, which is a 25-75 split. So you have a 50-50 split and a 25-75 split and you create offspring from those dogs that then creates the F2B. This is all very complicated, but all that to say, if you are keeping track of the breeding of these designer dogs, then that's the F process, essentially talking about the generations deep that that uh, offspring is coming from. Multi-generation is essentially just saying it's a 50-50 split all the way down the line. They keep breeding, you know, the same 50-50 split with a 50-50 split dog over and over again. And that's a multi-generational designer breed. Now these designer dogs often cost about 25 to 50% more than purebreds. They only have to register with America's Pet Registry, which costs less than the American Kennel Club. And that could be of benefit to people. I don't know that that's actually hanging out there. Um, but the, the American Kennel Club only recognizes 160 breeds, but the uh, America's Pet Registry recognizes more than 500 breeds and designer breeds. So examples of other designer breeds would be a Puggle, which is a Pug and a Beagle, a Goldador, a Golden Retriever and a Labrador. I haven't heard of that one before, although I'm sure I've seen one before. Uh, a Pomsky, which is a Pomeranian and a Husky, and they are cute as hell. And a Chorky, which is a Chihuahua and a Yorkshire Terrier, also cute as hell. Those are just some examples of other designer breeds. I'm sure there's a whole bunch more that you could say. I would, like, a Husky and a Shepherd, I'm not sure what the split word is on that, but I see a lot of Husky Shepherds. There's definitely a lot of other mixed breeds out there that are sought after. The first generation may be healthier. The science is not necessarily there to back this one, but they do have a little bit of it there to suggest that by infusing the, this new DNA into these old DNA strands, essentially, if you're no longer, if you're breeding outside of that breed, then it actually infuses some healthy new DNA in there and could reinvigorate or essentially <laughs> repair any damage that was done by the continual breeding just within that breed. Um, again, there's not a lot of scientific backing to that, but they do say that uh, mixed breeds could live, you know, a couple years longer than purebreds. So most modern dog breeds were created in the last three to 400 years by breeding two earlier breeds to combine the desirable traits of both. So designer breeds are actually the way most breeds start. And this is something that we have been doing for hundreds of years. So, you know, there's a lot of like people who kind of look down their nose at dogs that are not purebred or when they look at especially doodles, which have this higher price point and are so sought after uh, within the public, but they are not technically a recognized breed, I would suggest that this is just en route to it being potentially a recognized breed. 
and this is just the early processes of that, and that that happens with a lot of the dogs we know today. So designer breeds eventually just have to breed true to be able to be considered a pure breed, and that breeding true process, I... I don't know, you know, how you prove that over time. There must be somebody who's keeping an eye on each generation and ensuring that the temperament and the, you know, physicality, the physical attributes they're looking to breed are continuously represented within each generation. So somebody must be watching that somewhere to then say eventually, yeah, you can call it that. And this is now an an approved and recognized breed within the kennel club. So all that to say that there's a lot of breeding going on with poodles out there and I have a comprehensive list here if we can throw back to Forrest Gump and list off all the types of shrimp. Uh, These are all the shrimps of the doodle world and you know I'm going to skip through most of these but there are a few that I hadn't heard of and I had no idea they were even labeling. It's kind of like I didn't even think that they would put a label onto that mixing. I just thought, oh yeah, they might be doing that. But like, I wouldn't think that you would necessarily title it. And so I don't know of these websites. There's quite a few websites that have these comprehensive lists of doodles. This was just the the largest list I saw of 44 different doodles. But it could be that they just, you know, casually title them and it's not something that's being sought after or kind of promoted per se over time. There might just have been like a poodle and this other dog that happened to breed and they happened to try it out. Anyway, all that to say, um, there's cavapoos, sheepadoodles, schnoodles, shy poos, yorkie poos, peekapoos, pomapoos, woodles, which is a soft-coated Wheaton Terrier with a poodle. Saint Berdoodle, a Golden Doodle, Labradoodle, a Bi-Doodle, which is, which is a Bichon Frise with a Poodle. A Newfie Poo, a Bernadoodle, a Border Doodle, a Bordoodle, yeah. <laughs> a Chai Poo, which is a Chihuahua and a Poodle. A Westie Poo, a Boxer Doodle, a Cockapoo, a Multi Poo, a Roddle, which is a Rottweiler and a Poodle. I just love that name, Roddle. Uh, Aussie Doodle, Irish Doodle, Havapoo, Sheepadoodle, nope. Shepadoodle. So there's sheepadoodle that I already mentioned up top. A shepadoodle is a shepherd and a poodle. A pyradoodle, which is not a fire starting doodle, although that would be fun. No, but it's a great Pyrenees with a, a poodle. A springer doodle, a corgi poo. A poogle, which is a beagle and a poodle. A doxy poo, which is a dachshund with a poodle. A pugapoo, an aradoodle, which is the Airedale terrier and a poodle. A cyber poo. A a rhymer doodle. I really think if you're still listening to me at this point that you're just trying to hear all the weird names and ways that I'm trying to (laughs) make my way through this list because I haven't really said them out loud. So uh, there's some really interesting names. A -a jackapoo. A scoodle, which is a Scottish terrier and a poodle. A great denoodle. A great denoodle. That's awesome. A basset Toodle, an Eskipoo, uh, which is an American Eskimo with a uh, poodle, a Flandoodle, which is a Bouvier de Flandres, Flanders. Oh, I haven't said these things out loud. And a poodle, a Mastodoodle, a Dalmadoodle, a Bordoodle. Say 
Poor Doodle. They double. Yeah, there's only 43. Anyway, a Boar Doodle and a Bola Noodle. Uh, so this is quite the list. Uh, you got a lot of choices out there for this mixed breed. And again, I think we're just kind of rolling the dice with how these guys are going to turn out physically, fur-wise, temperament-wise. And that is part of the fun when owning a dog. One of the things that I thought would be great with owning a doodle uh, was the fact that I am allergic to dogs and cats. And so I still have to take allergy pills every single day. And Benny very rarely like sheds. He doesn't leave very, he leaves very little fur around the house. Um, But it's definitely evident that I you know, have dander in my space and that I'm always going to be dealing with that. It's just, it's less and it's more manageable for me. Um, Another thing with doodles though, is that they're dirty. They carry a lot of dirt in all of that fur that they have on their body. So they are a tough thing to manage on that other side of, even though they might not shed very much, they're going to, they're going to be a dirty dog, but a lot of dogs are dirty. Anyway, all of that to say, I think that doodles are fantastic and (laughs) I walk a lot of doodles. I have what I call the poodle posse. So they are a little group of floofs that all seem to get along and jive well together. And I just love that. But I don't think that there is a guarantee on any of the traits that you are looking for um, in any dog at any point. Benny is a golden doodle. So I do see traits like he is very great with people and with kids he seems just to understand those things he does not live in an environment that has children all the time and yet he seems to just know how to do those things uh but at the same time he is a very sensitive dog so i can't bring him into a lot of situations without having him either be scared or have an anxiety spike so some of the kind of affable you know easygoingness of the golden retriever is lost and I don't know if that's coming from the poodle or if that's just like that's how my guy turned out (laughs) so uh, doodles are an interesting mix and I think people will continue to love them and and try to figure them out as we go and I don't like that they are so highly priced and that it you know costs thousands of dollars to get some of these unique and strange mixed breeds but I do understand a bit of the desire behind it. Thanks for hanging out with me to chat about doodles. I hope you guys are having a great day and uh, I'm sending you and your dog some extra belly rubs. I'll talk to you next time.